0: And as you're being seated this morning, I want to say welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor. So glad that you could join us this morning, whether you're in screen one here with us, if you're over in screen two, welcome, or if you're joining us online, thank you so much for taking time uh, to be here uh, this morning. As Pastor Chase said um, at the beginning of the service, um, this is a big weekend for us. Uh, Yesterday was the official birthday of Ignite Church. It's 10. So yeah, so Ignite is a decade is awesome. I'm excited. You're excited. We could all be excited together. Um, yes, Ignite is 10 years old. Um, the, on February 13th, 2011, we, we opened. We had our first public service over in screen two. Um, it was insanely loud. There was 87 people there, mostly uh, family and friends who I just said, hey, can you drive up from the Twin Cities and just be a warm body and make it look like people were here? Um, true story and many answered the call. It was great. It was wonderful. So we had 87 people um, and, and uh, the reason why uh, we moved here to start this church is over a decade ago my wife and I and our kids we moved here um, with a passion to reach uh, people in northwest Minnesota and in North Dakota um, because my wife and I both grew up not too far from here, um, and so we grew up in this in this area and one of the things that we noticed a lot when we were growing up was there were a lot of our friends and even myself included that we, I put myself in this camp is that is that we knew all of the rules about church we knew all of the rules about what it meant to be a Christian we knew all of the we knew all the right Sunday school answers right like the right Sunday school answer is always Jesus right so like we knew we knew that was the right answer um, for everything but really like I knew I knew all of the rules but I knew none of the joy of actually walking with Jesus like to actually walk with him to 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 listen to to have him speak to my soul through the word and, and to 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 have this love for God I knew all of the jo- I knew all of the rules but had none of the joy and I realized that a lot of my friends were the same exact way so many of us knew all of these different things but we we had we had Jesus at arm's length right so we knew that we couldn't we knew that we had to behave a certain way but if we really wanted to tell that joke we would go out of the church into the parking lot where Jesus couldn't see us right like that was that was the mentality that we had you know so i can come here check the box do the thing and then leave and have it not affect the rest of my life or even the way that I thought, or what I valued, or how I acted, or even just like that assurance of knowing that God not only loves me, but likes me, um, and that is a part of walking with me in this. And so when we moved here and we started Ignite, we wanted to be a place that in the future, if people ask you, like, why do you go to that church? Why why do you stay connected to that? Why are you so involved there? Because so people could say, well, that's where I met Jesus. That's where my faith came alive. That's where the Bible came alive to me. That's where these amazing truths happened, And that's where my life changed. And I've never been the same ever since. And that's why I continue to be a part of this church. Because we know, we want you know that your story matters. We care deeply about each and every one of you. I have just the just wonderful joy uh, of being the, the pastor. And I'm just say, I just got to say, I love you guys. Like this is a joy for me to be able to serve uh, Jesus's church at Ignite and serve you because it is a tremendous joy of my heart and soul. And, and you all matter deeply. Um, and and we, know, we want you to know that your story matters and that even when life is hard, there's hope in Jesus right? Even when life is hard, there's hope in Jesus. And all of these things that keep happening, all the life transformation that's happened over the last 10 years, both in me and, and through the lives of so many, is because Jesus continues to call us, to lead us, and to walk with his people. And our desire is to help you become all you can be in Christ and to become everything that Jesus wants you to be. And it starts with, with this realization that's going to be the big idea for this morning. Is, and it's this, is there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus, right? There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. There's a difference between about knowing someone, right, and knowing about them. And we live in a day and age where we can know more about people and, and more of those people than at any time in the history of the world. And it used to just be like we knew a lot about like celebrities, right? We knew a lot about their life. But now we can find out a lot about you, right? Like Instabook and Snapface and all these other social media platforms that we have, right? I'm with it, right? So... We can know so much about people without actually knowing them. Like we can creep you on social media and I can find out all about your life, right? I can find out about your hobbies. I can find out what you're currently reading or what you're currently binging. I can find out um, where you spent your vacations and when you go on vacations. I can find out where you work. I can, there's so many things that I can know about you and there's so many things that you can know about me, but do we actually know each other? A knowing someone comes with time, right? That comes with interaction, that comes with having a conversation where we're actually talking to each other not just at each other. There comes a time when, when, when there's this knowing, right? That, that I, can, I can ask for clarification because I can see your facial expressions or, or we can have this back and forth. There's this difference about knowing about someone and actually listening to their story, hearing their heart and knowing them. And I think one of the most dangerous things in our faith journey is we think about walking with God or exploring the things of God or you're, you're here and you're just kind of checking things out. I just want to say, one of the most dangerous things, I think, in this culture, in this age, is that we can assume we know Jesus because we've observed him from a distance. Know all the rules. Know all the rules, but don't actually know him. And that's exactly where we're going to find ourselves this morning. It's interesting how the 10th birthday in this text lined up with our preparatory, and it may not seem like it will match, and yet it does... Incredibly, because it is the cry of our heart to help people know Jesus. And what we've seen throughout the book of Matthew, we've been going through the book of Matthew, and we're in chapter thirteen. And, and And King Jesus is sharing about his kingdom. Right? He's He's been sharing about the nature and character of the kingdom, and that he is a king. and And we've also seen that that he's doing so in parables. He's talking about it in parables. He's given uh, seven parables. Um, and a parable is a is a story that has a spiritual truth, but that truth isn't always. Obvious. It's kind of veiled. It's 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 a little more obscure. It's it's second layer of understanding kind of thing. And so Jesus often will have to explain it. Um, of, like this is the parable, and then he explains it to some people. And the reason why Jesus is doing this is because uh, he's putting deep, profound, incredible truth out there, but knows that. The only people that are really going to understand this and the, really, the people that really want to get this are the ones that are going to ask the follow-up question. And so he puts stuff out there, and he, he, it's slightly veiled uh, of its meaning, and yet the people that are drawn to him will continue to ask him questions. And when they ask questions, he's more than happy to answer them. It's almost like he's wetting their appetite through a parable. But he also knows that there are people who don't want to know more. There are people who are not interested, and there are people who are actually downright hostile towards Jesus and his followers. And unfortunately, often that hostility comes by being overly familiar with Jesus, knowing all about him but not knowing him. And that's what we're going to find today. We're going to be in Matthew starting in chapter, uh, Matthew 13, starting in verse 53. The words are going to be up on the screen as well, so you can follow along with us. And we're going to see this uninviting reception that Jesus has. So we pick it up in verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And not, are not all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. Jesus had just done um, a teaching segment where he was teaching all these parables. He goes away like he was. Um, Kind of on on like a natural hillside, almost like an amplification. So he's teaching, and then he leaves that place of teaching. He goes back to his hometown. His hometown is the town of Nazareth. It's about 20 miles from where he was just teaching. Now, Jesus, um, so Jesus moved around a lot growing up as, as, a, as, a, as an infant and as a young man. Um, I know for me, like, we moved to the town of Manomen when I was eight years old. Um, that's where I graduated from. But when I moved there at eight years old, that was my ninth move. Okay, maybe, maybe you guys have some of that story too. Maybe you moved around a lot as a kid. But Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a bedroom community outside of Jerusalem um, in the southern part of the nation. So down on the south side is where he grew up, the south side of the south side, because Bethlehem's down here. Um, and uh, and, and uh, Jesus as an infant... King Herod hears about like that there's a Messiah born. He wants him gone. So he, he kills all the young men and all the, all the young boys. Um, and so Mary and Joseph warned about it in a dream. They leave Bethlehem in the middle of the night and they flee to Egypt. They go to a different country and they settle in Egypt for a while. And then when Herod dies, they know that the danger is gone. They're told by an angel to go back and they move back into Israel. But they, go, they bypass Bethlehem and they go into the north end of town or the north end of the country into a town called Nazareth and Nazareth is a small town. Not much is happening in Nazareth, okay? In fact, actually, when somebody says, hey, we found, the, we found the one who might be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. His name's Jesus. He's from Nazareth. One of the disciples goes, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like, is anything good come from there? Right? Like, this is just like this small town. Like, what happens from there? And Jesus goes back to his hometown, and he's, he's there, and he goes and he teaches in their synagogue. A synagogue is like a local church, okay? So they had the temple down in Jerusalem, but they had these clusters of people that met throughout the country, and they gathered together in groups of people, and they would meet at synagogue. And he would go, and he would teach them. And his, his teaching is consistent with the other teachings that we've seen, because this is Jesus' message. That there's a kingdom of heaven, it's at hand, I'm the king, I'm here to rescue the lost sheep. I'm here to, I'm, I'm here to gather in what was lost. That's Jesus' message over and over and over again. And it says as he's teaching, the, the locals, the people that grew up with him, the people that went to high school with him, the people that, were, that saw Jesus growing up, right? Like they hear his teaching and they're astonished. Now, this isn't astonished, because we find out, right, they they took offense at him. so, So we know that they're not astonished in a good way, right? When someone's astonished in a good way, it's like, you know, mind blown, I can't believe this, I'm so, right, like, astonished. This is more like that indignant astonished, like, oh. I can't believe this, right? And then they go and they, they immediately like depersonalize this whole thing. They want to keep Jesus at, at arm's length. And they say, where did this man get his learning? Right? They don't, they say, hey, where did Jesus, did you go to school? Right? They just like, where did this man, where did this man get his learning? where? Where did he learn all these things and these mighty works? Like, where does he get the authority to do that? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Yeah, it is. He's got a name too. Right? Joseph has died by this point, And he's like, isn't this the car? Is this not the carpenter's son? Isn't this guy blue collar? Like, where does he think he like, where did he get all this stuff? And aren't his brothers and sisters with us? Like, this is the hometown boy. Where did he get all his learning? Isn't he from a working class? Aren't these his brothers and sisters? Where did he get all these things? Where did he get all this learning and this authority and this uh, power? And they're offended. They took offense to him. It's almost like you can hear the question, right? Like, who does he think he is? If you you grew up in a town where you were well-known and you moved away and you changed and you came back and you were different, but everybody else wanted you to be the exact same way. Oh, Stevie's back, right? And they said, isn't this these things? Who does he think he is? Does he think he's better than us? And they took offense at him. Instead of being joyful, instead of understanding that the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, is in their midst, they miss it because they're so self-absorbed. Because familiarity will breed contempt, and self-focus will rob what's going on. And what we find here and what we see in this over and over and over again, and this is what happens in the world over and over and over again, is that people reject Jesus because he doesn't fit the narrative. He doesn't fit the story like, well, I have an expectation of what God is going to be like, and he's going to be like this, and Jesus shows up. And instead of going, oh, wow, I was wrong. They say, well, he doesn't fit, and so I'm going to reject him. The Pharisees we've seen will reject Jesus on authority. Like, where did you get your authority? Nazareth, the Nazarenes here, will, will reject re- Jesus upon familiarity. Judas Iscariot will, will reject Jesus because he wanted a different kingdom. Israel will reject Jesus because they wanted a political revolutionary to overthrow Rome. They didn't want someone to like get at our hearts and understand that we're all sinners and need grace. They wanted somebody to change their external situation. And when that didn't happen, they were like, enough of this, just crucify them. Ten years ago, when we moved here, I, it was important that we would go and build relationships with people in the community. And so I would go to the same coffee shop every week. I, well, let's be honest, every day, Right? I'd go to the same coffee shop. I'd go to the same gas station. I'd go to the same grocery store. I'd go to the same places over and over and over again because I wanted to build relationships with people. I wanted to talk to them. I Wanted to meet them. I didn't know many people, and so wanted to go. Out. And I'm also an extrovert, and I just needed relationship. So as, as I'm as I'm going, I, I I remember going to this one place, and I'd have to go there weekly, and I started getting to know everybody who worked there and the whole team, and and it was really fun to get to know them. And and one young lady, I, I would invite them all to church, but one young lady. I, I did a number of different times. And finally she said, listen, Steve, I'm not coming to Ignite. I'm not coming to church. And I said, okay. And she wasn't mean about it. She just said, I'm not, I'm not coming. I'm not interested. And I backed off. I said, okay. And, I, and she goes, you might not know this about me, but I used to be one of them Jesus freaks. She said, I I had the sticker of the fish on my car. I had, I had, you know, I went to all the youth camps, I went to all the retreats, I carried my Bible with me. I had the WWJD bracelet, I had, I had it all, I was decked out to the nines. I had everything. I was one of them church kids. And I said, okay, so if you don't mind me asking, what happened? She said, My mom got sick, or my grandma got sick. My grandma got sick. And I prayed that God would heal my grandma and she died. God didn't answer my prayer the way that I wanted him to. And so I said enough of this and I was done. I was done with God. If he wasn't going to save my grandma, I was done. And I'm not interested in coming and hearing more about your God. It's a hard thing to lose someone you love. It's a very difficult thing to lose someone that you love. But we have to understand that Jesus does not promise that he's going to answer your prayers the way that you want him to. We live in a broken world and death is a reality and there are things greater at play. But Jesus is not our cosmic vending machine. Like, we can't just insert our prayer, hit D9, get our prayer answered the way that we want, and drop it out and go, yeah, there we go. That's not how it works. God is relational, and he's redeeming not only us, but an entire creation. And there's all these things at play. And death is a reality in the world in which we live right now. And Jesus promises that there's going to be suffering. Jesus promises that there's going to be trial. Jesus just also promises says, you're never going to be alone. You're never going to be alone. It's not that we won't have suffering. It's that we'll never be alone in our suffering. And somebody along the way had sold this young lady a bill of goods. Or she had this narrative that she had put in her head that if I just trust Jesus and I do all the right things, then God will have to do what I want him to do. And he's gonna make me healthy, and he's gonna make me wealthy, and he's gonna answer all my prayers, and I'm gonna get the job I want, I'm gonna get married when I want, I'm gonna get all the things that I want, when I want them, how I want them, because I've done all these things, and God owes me. And it's just simply not true. It's just simply not true. That we will face suffering, but we will never have to do it alone. And these people at Nazareth are like, Jesus doesn't fit the narrative. He won't do what I want him to do. Who does he think he is? Where does he think he gets all this power and this authority? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't his mom Mary? And they took offense. And Jesus We'll see how he responds to that. He, he already knew, right? He knows hearts and minds and thoughts. And, pick it up in the second half of verse 57. It says, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his, home, in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This has become a phrase that's used in culture, right? A prophet without honor. It says a prophet's not without honor, you you know, except in his hometown. All this, everybody's so familiar that they, they miss out on this. The Nazarenes were so busy trying to define Jesus by their terms that they missed Jesus. They missed him. In their midst, they missed him. And it says that the, he, did, the, he, he not, did not do many mighty works there. Mighty works. These are, these are what we would call miracles. These are the things that they were talking about through the rest of Scripture. So we see these amazing mighty works of Jesus. There's these, there's these miracles that happen. All right? Miracles are things that are um miracles are, are, are things that are either supernatural. Like they don't normally happen in nature and then stuff happens. Um, Or it's going a certain way and Jesus whips that around so hard, so fast. That's not even like a U-turn. It's more like a V-turn. Like you locked up the E-brake and spun and went the other direction, right? And he takes things in a completely different direction. These were the mighty works. People who were dying, people who were sick, he healed, he would feed the 5,000, he'd calm a storm, he'd walk on water. These are mighty works. They're also known as miracles. They're also known as signs. Okay? They're signs. And a sign is meant to point you to a destination or let you know that you're on the right track, right? Like if you've ever seen a sign before, like if you walked in and you came into the parking lot and it says Ignite Church on the side of the building, you know you're at Ignite Church because you saw the sign. If you're like... I uh, wanted to go to CVS and you walk in here, you read the wrong sign, right? If you're like, I'm just here to pick up my prescription, I can help you get to the CVS or across the street to the corner of happy and healthy, but that's not here, right? Wrong, like the sign pointed you to a different reality. The whole point of a sign is to point you to a deeper reality, right? And the miracles of Jesus are supposed to point people to Jesus. And it says that he, he, he didn't do many signs there because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. And this is where I think we get really, really mixed up. And this is what happens a lot of times. And I've heard this before. And I've actually, at times, when I was younger, I like had to be corrected in this thought. Jesus did not do signs there because of their unbelief. He chose not to do signs there because of their unbelief. It's not that he couldn't, okay? Jesus' deity and Jesus' miracles don't rely on our ability to believe harder, to make God stronger, okay? And this thought kind of pervades that, that, that Jesus can't do anything because we just need to believe harder, And that's not true. Jesus is not limited by the unbelief of people. In the early 2000s, there was a movie that came out. And it was so culturally relevant and so important to our people that it's actually, the message of this movie has continued to reverberate for decades. That movie was a movie called Elf. Right? You know what I'm talking about and I'm singing, and I'm here, and I'm singing. FYI, that's just how I sing. That's why I stand down there and face a speaker. But the premise of elf, right is like Santa is going to fly his sleigh, but the only way that the, the sleigh flies is on the Christmas spirit, right? And as the Christmas spirit gets to diminish, his sleigh doesn't fly. and so they have to soup it up, right They put out a jet, a jet engine, right and then the jet engine breaks, and he's in Central Park and if I, I'm sorry, spoiler alert everywhere, like if you've not seen this movie. Um, but, but there's, he's in Central Park and he can't fly. And so what do they do? They start singing a song to get the Christmas spirit and the sleigh starts to go up a little bit higher, but it can't make it to his little children to, devile, to deliver their toys unless James Caan gets over his pride and starts singing, right? <laughs> and finally, in the apex moment of the movie, you better not pout, I'm telling you Why? right? Everybody sheds a tear as dad says Santa Claus, right? And everything in the sleigh takes off. I think so often we think that God's power is that sleigh and the power that we have in our belief or our earnestness is what makes him powerful. Well, you can't do those things if we don't believe hard enough. God is God, whether you believe him or not. God is powerful, whether you believe in him or not. The earnestness of our emotions and our right thinking does not add to or diminish God in any way, shape, or form. Jesus did not do signs here because signs point you to Jesus. And if you've already rejected Jesus, then what good is the sign? And so often, this is what happens. We say, I want God's blessing, but I don't want God's ways. I want God to bless me. I want God to make me happy. I want God to give me joy. I want God to give me purpose. I want God to give me children. I want God to give me, I want God to give, and those those are good things. Don't get me wrong. Those are good things. But to say, I want God to provide those things for me, but I'm not going to do anything about him or adopt any of his ways or want to be part of his family or submit my life to him in any way, shape, or form, God says, I'm not not like that. Don't use God to try to manipulate and get something you want. Can we ask God for things? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does he love it when we ask? Yes. Does he want us to pray? Yes. But he also wants us near him. And the Nazarenes wanted Jesus at a distance. But to walk with Jesus means to give your life to him. All areas of your life your hopes, your dreams, your sorrows, your sin, your leisure, your education, your job, your love life. Jesus wants it all under his lordship and it goes better for us when we trust him in all areas. But we can't, we don't get to say, I want God's blessings, but I don't want God's ways. It's an arrogant posture. And it keeps us distant from knowing God. God is the ultimate prize. Because there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And for 10 years, I've stood up here and I've pleaded with you to not harden your hearts to the things of God and not grow overly familiar with the things of God. Don't harden your hearts. Don't grow too familiar with the cross. I'm pleading with you, don't do it. And so I want to ask you some questions today. And I'm going to ask you these questions, and I want you to ask them really of yourself. Some self-reflection time. So I want you to ask these questions. Number one, when was the last time I was aware of the presence of Jesus? When was I aware of the presence of Jesus? He's everywhere. When am I actually aware that Jesus is near me? When have I when have I felt his presence? When have I experienced his peace? When was the last time I was aware of the presence of Jesus? Number 2, when was the last prayer Jesus answered? When was the last time Jesus answered my prayer? I would highly encourage you to take out a pen and paper sometime today or pencil if that is your cup of tea. You can even get a cup of tea if you want. But take out a paper and a writing instrument and write down as many times as you can think of answered prayers that God gave you throughout your life. And I think this one, this one's like, because this is the most obvious one. God keep us safe on the journey. Right? We're gonna go on. God, would you keep us safe? And we always pray that prayer. God, keep us safe. And then we get there and we think that it's our doing. Right? Did not God answer your prayer? Like, well, that wasn't a really good prayer. Well, then pray better prayers. I don't know. I think the fact that God would sustain you and shield you and protect you as you traveled along in a piece of metal going 70 miles an hour is pretty amazing. And that he can do that for 7 billion people all across the world simultaneously, that he'll actually hear that prayer and answer it, I think is incredible. When was the last time God answered your prayers? Number three, when was, uh, when was the last time I discovered something new in the Bible? Like, when did you read something, see something, and you're like, I had never seen that before. How did that get, when was that inserted? Is this the same like in that moment, or like some, some truth just gets at your heart, captures your mind, and you're like, thank you. When was the last time you learned something new in the Bible? Number four, what sins has Jesus forgiven in my life? And be specific. And I think one of the really amazing, cool, incredible, beautiful things is, is when we're specific, God, what did you exactly forgive me of when you went to the cross? Because often we're like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Let that sink in. And what I love to do is when I write out like what Jesus has forgiven me of, I love to write it out and then I love to draw a line through it because it doesn't define me or even have any grip on me anymore because it was paid for at the cross of Calvary. All my anger, all of my malice, the gossip, right? Whatever it is that you have, like Jesus has forgiven me of this and then draw a line through it. And see what that does to your affections for God and what it means to know him. Number five, when have I stepped out in obedience to Jesus? When, when has Jesus called me to do something, whether in his word or the prompting of the spirit in my life? When have, I, when have I stepped out and did something? When was the last time? Regardless of the results, when was the last time you stepped out in obedience to Jesus? Jesus. And if you're here today and you're like, if your answer to any of these questions are, it's been a while. It's been a while. Or I don't know if that's ever happened. What we can do in that moment of you're like, it's just been a while. And I'm feeling like I know more about Jesus, but I really just want to know him. First, we pray that Jesus would ignite Something in our hearts. God, would you make my heart alive? Would you open my brain to understand this a little bit better? As I open the word, as I do my daily devotions, as I read this scripture, as I go back and read Matthew 13, as I think on these things, would you open something in my brain so I can understand what's going on? Would you ignite something in my soul And then we take the next right step. The next right step. Maybe that's, you know what? I've been thinking about getting connected to a group of people that can help encourage me in my faith. I know there's groups that ignite. I need to sign up. Maybe it's, maybe it's, I need to serve others. Maybe it's helping the poor. Maybe, I don't know what it is, but we have to understand that the next right step isn't about earning our favor with God. It doesn't earn us anything, but what it does do is it helps us take one step closer to where Jesus is. And that warms our hearts. And so as we think about these things and we ask ourselves these questions, let us remember that we can know about a lot of people, but to know Jesus is to experience his grace and love and his mercy and to receive his salvation and to have that joy as we encounter him. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to open the Bible and to talk. I thank you so much that we were able to speak your words and what was happening. And I think about the church, um, and I think about the people in Nazareth. And God, I pray that our affection would grow for you. That we wouldn't just know about you, but that we would know you. I pray that our hearts would expand and warm up to the things of God. I pray, God, that that, that we would all learn something new today about you whether it be in the word, whether it be in loving someone, whether it be in whatever it is, God, I pray that we would learn something more about you and your character and your goodness and your grace and your justice and your holiness. God, I pray that each and every one of us would learn something new today about you. And God, I pray that you would make us aware of your presence and your mercy, whether things are going great for us or whether they're really, really difficult right now or there's somewhere in between and we're just kind of blah. Lord, I pray today that we would know that you're near and that you would be with us and that we would be aware of just how close you are. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.